When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 131, Data Structures, Algorithms, Imposter Syndrome, and Migrations. I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week, we'll be discussing all the stuff I just listed in the title, blatantly breaking the rule of threes. I hope it's called that. Rule of threes, supposed to keep three things in a list to make like the title sound snappy. That's from high school marketing. Don't know if that's correct. Hopefully it is. Anyway, in this mashed up episode of all kinds of different topics, we'll be discussing all this in sort of conversational form because it's a couple little things that we want to talk about in different areas. Uh, that, you know, wasn't, these topics weren't big enough for a whole episode. Some of them can be, but not for what we wanted to say yet. So, uh, you know, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. Remember that weekly goals app is coming out uh, in a beta form hopefully soon. We have the public Trello, which is on our Twitter somewhere. I know that's really helpful when I say it's on your Twitter so- somewhere, but you can track its progress on there. Um, and, uh, I mean... Time to dive into these topics. I know it's kind of a uh, non-structured episode about data structures and algorithms, at least for the first segment. So, Mike, please, sir, take it away. Okay. Uh, so, it's actually not going to be about the data structures and algorithms. And it's more going to be about, like, do you need to know data structures and algorithms to be a good developer, a good web developer specifically? And there's kind of like a different approach to this. And the short answer really is no. You don't need to know everything about data structures and algorithms uh, to be a really good web developer. It's not necessary because how JavaScript is built is different than other kind of like more uh, unstructured or structured languages really um, that rely more on you knowing the concepts and building the concepts as another aspect than you just using them essentially. And Yes, there are some situations that if you went through traditional schooling and if you went and did your research into data structure and algorithms, it can help you. Like, for instance, DOM manipulation. If you were creating, a, you know, a reactive framework from scratch and you needed to optimize the way that you, you know, get to your, um, you know, div within a div within a div within a div, that is a tree transversal problem. And so there's pl- plenty of different algorithms to do tree transversals. There's like, you know, breath first, you know, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of different tree transversal algorithms. And there, there's some that are faster for certain cases. And knowing that kind of information can help you, you know, optimize your, your uh, ability to pull up the right div at the right time and manipulate it. So yes, there are certain very specific situations that these things can help you. Um, but having said that, not Everyone, and I'm going to say not most people that do web development are going to be building a reactive framework from scratch, nor are you going to be building anything that complex. If you're, especially if you're just like a regular website developer, if you're doing websites for clients, if you're doing CRUD applications, for instance, you're probably not going to be relying heavily on data structures and algorithms knowledge. You are going to be using them, however. So you are absolutely going to be using stuff like arrays, variables. That's all data structures. You're going to be using uh, different kinds of algorithms 
like singletons and stuff like that uh, without even knowing it really. So it's going to be like just in in it, a lot of this, a lot of algorithmic approach is really just common sense approach. So, you know, when you go into it and you have a, you have an algorithm that does something a specific way, like a factory or something like that. It's all very logical and common sense. And when you, a lot of the times when you go through a program that does data structures and algorithms, you're actually going to go back and be like, wait, I've used these a million times before. I don't have any like specific examples for you right now, but I remember when I was going through it, it was like extremely like, you know, on the nose, but, but when you're using it, you're not really knowing why you're using it. And it's kind of a good, like, you know, oh, okay. That's why I was using that again. Something that's not super required, but could be handy to know for certain very specific instances. Now, now I, yep. I have a yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say because no, no, I, I have a question, but maybe you're going to answer it. So I'll, I'll just ask the question. So uh, slightly long winded, but like, okay, if you think about uh, in an IT environment, a lot of the things will maybe not an IT environment. Let's just say a beginner environment. Let's just say you're a person that is uh, learning databases. I don't know. And so, you know, your first thing you're going to probably do is like, how do I make the database? Like, how do I create it? Where do I put it? And then you're going to go, okay, how do I create, uh, you know, an entry? And then you're probably going to say something like, how do I create an entry that has like multiple fields, like a user profile? And then you'll start applying it to like applying your knowledge to like kind of making in training only these like, you know, fake user profiles or whatever that have like your, your username, password, unique identifiers, whatever the whole bit. Are these data structures and algorithms and stuff like this? stuff that you will normally determine by yourself because back to the IT idea when in IT you know if you give somebody like let's say it's somebody that's a total 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 beginner and they're there and they're just like I just want to help people like do IT which is great it's a great motivation that's fine um but then you have like sort of the veterans on the team that go like no 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 like you have to follow the ticket structure you have to follow this you have to follow that and that person that was just there that like, you know, didn't want to deal with the paperwork, didn't want to deal with the tickets, didn't want to deal with whatever, slowly but surely over time will normally be sort of molded into that sort of experienced professional where they realize like, hey, you know, there's there's been a few times where I got screwed over by not having paperwork ready or not having paperwork to back up my claims or what I was doing or my time sheet or whatever, because like, you know, I wasn't worried about the, t- the, the tickets and stuff like this. And then if you talk to, say, that same IT professional, say five years, a year in, whatever, on the job, if when asked a question like, you know, hey, can you fix this hard drive? The very first thing that's probably going through their head and something that they're going to say to you is not, hey, yeah, I can go fix it like they would on their first day on the job. They would probably say like, yes, but I need a ticket. Uh, I need to know what the serial number of your laptop is. I need to know, you know, what the serial number on that hard drive is because I need to have it done in my inventory tracking system. Like they're, they're more, um, like they kind of have an algorithm now. They kind of have that algorithm or that data structure where they now think of like, okay, I need to go to the storage closet and pick this up. So I need someone to monitor or I need someone to, um, you know, write down that I took, you know, this hard, just new hard drive for this laptop of this serial number because I need this tracked in the inventory system. Like they're no longer just there to help you uh, because they've been solely molded via professional means uh, to this sort of almost algorithmic professional, if you will, where a person is used to the systems in play. Now, yes, of course, there's different systems around, whatever, but like even Mike and I, uh, for example, uh, 
you know, to the listener, we we have been like slowly but surely boiling down our customer websites into, you know, more uh, more of the same code bases just because it's too crazy to manage all this custom stuff without some sort of commonality uh, between all these different code bases, which we've mentioned tons of times. So even that could be sort of considered like a, an algorithm or whatever, where we've become more strategic or we've become more uh, professional, maybe uh, something like that, where we now say, okay, you know, we when we someone comes to us with a problem, we go, okay, you know, how does this fit into, and then we have this sort of structure in our head. So my question then to Mike to re, sort of repose that, since I know it is long-winded, is that like, is the, are these sort of data structures and algorithms something where if you're a person at that first stage of like learning a database, or should you be constantly worried like, oh, does this fit into this data structure? Ooh, does this fit into this algorithm? Or are these things that you will sort of naturally pick up on and maybe not know the name of, but you would naturally figure them out? And then someone, if you showed them, they'd be like, oh, that's this X, you know, this is that's this algorithm or that's this, uh, you know, tree structure or whatever. Like, is this something that you're going to naturally find out or is this something that you should be worrying about throughout your learning experience? So... That is exactly it. So uh, in web development, especially, it's going to be one of those things where as you're going through it, you're going to just be using them without knowing them. Web development has a lot of these structures and algorithms built into it as and you don't even realize that you're using it. So when you, for instance, you create an array, it automatically creates all the functionality of an array data structure for you. So you can, you know, search through it, you can reorganize it, you can sort it, you can do all those things from the array data structure that JavaScript provides you, right? So while you're while what you're doing is essentially like, you know, you're putting a bunch of customers into uh, a list from like a very like, you know, low, low level perspective or a high level perspective, what the JavaScript is doing in the back end, it, it is utilizing the data structures that it has, and the algorithms that it has to be able to accommodate your functionality. Right. So that is exactly how a web developer or someone new to web development that's not going to go through traditional, you know, software development and software engineering or computer science education. That's how he's going to go into it. And that's perfectly okay because you're going to get most of the things done. Having said that, um, there are certain situations like you brought up some good points where like a seasoned, you know, IT professional will have a certain algorithm or a certain set of things that they do for a very specific reason. So like when they're taking in a ticket, they're going to document the shit out of that ticket. And the reason for that is because, you know, three years down the line, when you want to reference something, that documentation is what you're going to use to reference it, right? So with the data structure, it's going to be very similar. If you're going to stick to very strict data structures that are defined and known by industry professionals, if you have to go back to that code base three years down the line, or if you have to bring on another developer then your specific functionality that you want to ask them is going to be very related to the stuff that they're going to be learning in school. So that that cross-referencing of like, okay, so you learned what an array is in school, and this is what we're using in, you know, in industry, that's what allows them to spin up quicker. Whereas if you were to, for, for whatever reason, create your own array data structure with your own functionality and your own way of referencing like how... Uh, a list of objects or a list of items works, someone coming into it with a fresh pair of eyes is going to be like, what the heck's going on here? I learned it this way. This is the industry standard way, or this is the way that like, you know, uh, is taught in schools. Or like the and language handles, like you're saying with, with, with an array in JavaScript. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that could cause some confusion. 
Um, and especially in other languages where you actually have to build your own or use a third party or whatever version of an array or whatever other data structure like a map or uh, a, a, a link list or a list, whatever other like a date object. There's just different ways that they are implemented in other languages because other languages kind of um, let you decide how you want to implement data structures. That's where obviously like if you're doing a C language like you know c level language where it's very much to the hardware you're going to have to implement this stuff yourself or use like you know readily available stuff that's available from, from other from another person and that's where it's kind of important to know how it works because optimizations there when you're talking about you know 32 kilobit processors are going to be very important but in terms of web development which is what we're talking about today it's not as important to know especially the intricacies of how a data structure is built in my opinion or how an algorithm or, or when, like how an algorithm is designed and and how like how it went through like a million different iterations the history of an algorithm essentially what is a good tool to have is the ability to know being like i'm doing this you know let's say let's go back to the dom manipulation example right so i'm doing dom manipulation i have to go into like the you know this divs third child's div and it seems to be taking a long time when i have to do that multiple times like a second and being like okay well it's taking a long time the logic there would be like okay well maybe there's a better way to do this and in that case you can just google is there a better way to do dom manipulation and it's probably going to pop up with some sort of way of doing it in a more efficient way using a a tree transversal algorithm and then you just like literally copy paste that algorithm use it and bam you're done that is a good tool to have the ability to know that these things exist and then being able to Google the right phrase (laughs) to be able to implement it, if that makes sense. Whereas knowing how to build them and knowing how each one of them works from scratch, that's the kind of knowledge that can kind of bog your brain down, especially. And um, not that, again, it's not bad to know that, but it's absolutely not necessary in the web development sphere. And that's the thing I was thinking of too, is like, you know, we've um, we've had different conversations about different types of programming on the show, specifically the one I'm thinking of is functional programming. And, um, you know, whether like functional programming is great, good, bad, whatever, I've never personally used it. And it's one of those things where if I start getting back into JavaScript um, and start like writing up a project and I, ha- I get back into the groove, you know, may- maybe I would learn functional JavaScript down the road um, or functional programming down the road, but I wouldn't want that to bog down my learning of the different new things that are in what ES6 that we're on now. Um, I wouldn't want that to bog down my making of this little media player that's on the hat website that I'm working on. I wouldn't want that sort of knowledge bogging me down because eventually like I'm going to be going to say to myself, damn, you know what I did here is inefficient. You know, this is, this is awkward or this is weird. Um, or like, oh, I'm, you know, trying to show another dev this and they're showing me a better way. You know, I'm going to learn those different data structures and such sort of, I think naturally, um, the same way that the IT professional is going to learn the, like the importance of a ticketing system and inventory systems or what have you, whatever they need to touch. Exactly. And you'll learn them as you need them. I think that's another really big thing with, uh, just complex problems and complex, uh, complex theories inside of programming if you're going to go into programming and think that you're going to know everything from reading books and you know watching youtube videos there you're just there's just no chance because there's just so much to learn 
that's not the right mindset to have when you're trying to break into an industry, especially programming. The mindset should be, okay, I need to learn enough to be able to, you know, figure out where to start. And from there, you're going to run into walls and you're going to run into issues and you're going to run into bugs. And those are the learning moments. Those are the main learning moments. And you're learning for a very specific reason. So you're going to have a very, you're going to be very uh, motivated to learn and you're going to be very inclined to learn how to, you know, find the right solution. And that's where you're going to have that accelerated growth as a developer. Because if you're going to get stuck in that phase of just going to like classes, of just doing boot camps, of just doing like these, you know, just just in that learning phase, that constant learning phase without actually diving in and doing your own projects, you're you're going to get stuck there. And we've seen it multiple times. Like I've I've talked to many developers that are that were in that phase and they just didn't get it until they actually started projects. They actually started doing client work. They actually started doing their own projects that they thought of and they ran into those issues, those brick walls. And then they got through them and they're like, oh, that's development. Like it's solving problems. It's not learning everything out there that everything that's existing in the universe. It's actually being able to like approach a problem because you're going to have many of them, no matter how experienced you are and approaching it calmly and collectively and figuring out a solution. That is the definition of development in my opinion. And if you can get through that point, you're going to have that aha moment, I guarantee. And you're, you're not going to be as scared going forward. Yeah, I think I think that's really the key, um, especially when like if I want to get back into like, you know, refreshing my JavaScript knowledge, like I'm going to just jump right into a project. I don't think I'm going to I mean, I'll look up some stuff and I have done that. I've said that on the show where I'll watch a video, be like, what the heck is this? Pause, go look it up a little bit. And that's sort of, um, you know, one way that I learned. But I think that it's the same as if you're even, you know, something if you take take the same idea of, of a of a. Um, Take the same idea of sort of like learning on the job, learning on the whatever, becoming the problem solver. I mean, a lot of jobs do that. Take like something really random that's totally out of the text, like text sphere, like a furniture maker, like that furniture maker doesn't know in general how the hell that wood was made and like where the heck the tree was and what the best, you know, sun angle is for that type of tree that like, no, like, and they don't know how the iron was forged in the nails. You know, you don't need to know absolutely everything. The problem of the furniture maker is that I need to make a chair that people can sit on that sturdy. And so they use the nails, the screws, the wood, whatever to finish that goal. And the programmer is the same thing. Someone comes to you and says, there's something wrong with my nav bar. The buttons don't work. Well, you go in, you go and you make the links work. There you go. You're done. You know, you've done your you've done your bit, like whether it's with JS or whether that's with just some, you know, DOM manipulation, like straight up HTML, whatever, what have you like, that's what you're doing. And that's what you'll be doing for different companies, too. Like people think that like, sure, like, I guess I guess maybe the anxiety of knowing everything comes from school because like school kind of School kind of feels like you've learned everything when you're in like a high school class and you learn all about like math. You're like, oh, now I know everything about calculus or now I know everything about uh, integrals or I know everything about whatever the heck it is. Um, But in reality, you know, they've just taught you the tip of the iceberg, but they're keeping you in that bubble of like this is this is all you need to know. So we're not even going to talk about that other stuff uh, maybe until next year or maybe never. Uh, Maybe you need to go into some sort of specialized math. And like, I think it's the same. It's the same sort of thing. Like I'm sitting on a gaming chair right now. I don't I have no idea how the 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 faux leather was made. You know, I don't and I don't need to know. I'm just using this. And like the person that probably put the chair together just orders faux leather. They probably don't have no idea 
how the heck the faux leather was made, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, you just need to sort of know, uh, knew your specific job, know your specific, I guess you could call it a niche. And, um, Michael actually probably remember this is like, we had a teacher, I've probably mentioned this a bunch of times, and he was one of our embedded teachers. And one of the things that he said was, you know, I wrote this driver or whatever it was, um, and I learned how this chip worked. And so I wrote this driver, but now then I just threw that information out of my brain because I didn't need to know that. And that was a straight up programming class, embedded programming, but it was still a programming class. And that's really important to know is because he even said like, I'm not going to remember how the hell this chip works. Like, I know I work with so many different chips. Meaning like a little integrated circuit on like a circuit board is what I mean by a chip. Like I work on so many chips. Like I don't remember, you know, this base thing. Like I figured it out. I like, like the point is that he had the skill to figure it out, knows where to look, builds the driver or whatever he was building or the reference uh, to it once. And then he has that, you know, has that code on GitHub or wherever he had it saved. And then that's it. It's over. He doesn't need to worry about, you know, having 10,000 different um, like having 10,000 different, you know, chip layouts like of how their registries work all in his brain and actually to, to kind of comment on that you know that wasn't high school that was college but if you notice they never taught us well like i mean i'm talking to mike i guess in this case but like they never taught us about git github they never taught us about version control they just wanted us to to solve the problems like hey make this light blink hey make this button blink this light Hey, make this light blink when I tap the button three times hey make this light do the breathing effect you know fade in fade out fade in fade out um that's what they wanted us to do. And, you know, with, uh, with, without the bloat, I guess you could say without the bloat of, of say version control in GitHub, because then people are going to be like, holy crap. Like, do I have to use, like, do I use like a, the GUI for the, for the GitHub? Do I use like for whatever Git service I'm using? Do I use the command line? And then like, see how it's just like in your brain. Then you're like, wait, when do I commit? Like I, I just made the light blink, but like not with the button. So do I commit now? And then like, it, it starts to cloud that vision. But as you learn the programming, then you're just like, you know, it would be kind of nice to have a version saved right now because like I might mess this up when I add this button code in, but that's experience that you get from being on the job and from doing, from doing that thing over and over again, you'd be like, yeah, you know, it'd be kind of nice. Like, uh, IT administration, same thing. Eh, it'd be kind of nice if we took a snapshot of this VM right now. You know, that's a big one. It'd be kind of nice if we had a backup of this. That's a big one in web dev. So that type of thing. Exactly. And I think the, the, the main goal of like that embedded program isn't to teach you how to micro like use the specific microcontroller and be able to do the specific thing. It's to teach you how to approach the problem. And to not panic when there's a problem on your on your table and you don't have any uh, the information required yet, that's the main thing. And that's why, like, yeah, Git wasn't taught. But really, like, again, like Matt said, you're gonna get to the industry and you'll be like, okay, well, yeah, I want to back it up and I want to have some sort of a, a way to see how far I've come and where what I did back here. And you're gonna figure out Git because again, it's just another problem that you just have to solve. And you get you get there and you solve, and that's all it is. Honestly, like. 90% of programming and of web development is problem solving. If you can solve a problem, if you're right now, if you're a uh, a welding mechanic or a uh, car mechanic or some sort of like any, any other worker and your job requires you to go in and solve problems on the go because there's just certain situations that don't fall into a cookie cutter approach all the time, you're absolutely, you have the skill set to be a developer in my opinion. That's That's the skill set problem solving if you have problem solving skill set you're good to go 
If you don't, you can build it. Like you can learn how to pro- solve problems. Absolutely. That's, but that should be your focus, learning how to do it and then applying your skills to solve real life problems doing, using the technologies that are required for the job. Yes. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree on that. hundred percent. Yeah. And then with that, uh, let's move on to the next topic that we're going to be talking about, which is imposter syndrome. Uh, So we've had an episode on this, but it's been a little while now. And I just wanted to kind of bring it up again, because I think with everyone, like, I don't I don't care how seasoned you are in the industry. I think you always have bouts of imposter syndrome. And it's important to kind of put it out there in the community so that people don't feel alone in this. And it doesn't become a deterrent to becoming uh, a developer. Right. So really, like for me. I have it happen pretty consistently, like every every month, I would say at least once a month, even more than that. A um, couple times a month, I'll have a situation where I'm like, am I like, should I really be doing this? Like, am I, you know, there's other people out there that are constantly like, you know, if, if you're talking about hat, they're constantly posting about uh, development stuff. They're constantly making projects like every week they create a new project. There's constantly people out there that are just doing these crazy, really impressive things. They have like 500 like 5,000 GitHub, uh, GitHub stars and stuff like that. Like, I don't have any of that. Like, am I just not, you know, good at this? Is that why? And stuff like I have those kinds of thoughts in my head on a pretty consistent basis. Um, and really like when I have that kind of thought, I just kind of look at what I'm working on, what I've done. And sometimes I just step away as well, because sometimes that, that will help a lot. Just having a perspective on life in a different sense, just going and, you know, playing a game or, Uh, going for a walk or doing a workout. And that usually will help me reset a little bit. Um, If it keeps persisting, I'll, I'll focus on like the, the very small tasks at hand and try to solve those things. And usually being able to solve a problem, like I was talking about in the segment before, uh, will help me kind of push through it. But regardless, it's going to happen over and over again as well. And it's just something that as soon as you're aware of, in my opinion, like as, you, as soon as you're aware that there is this thing called imposter syndrome, and it's not, it really isn't only about development either. It can be in any industry. I think everyone experiences it at some point. Um, it's just important to be aware that it exists and it's important to kind of not drown in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you there because like I know like you and I had a conversation before um, this, we had like a meeting, like catch up meeting and stuff like this. And we're talking about like some goals and stuff like this. And, and one of the, one of the st- things that we had said was, you know, what's a way. Cause like we, t- like it's beginning of the year pretty well. So we always talk about growth and it's like, well, how do we talk about growth? And we usually like to talk about the extremes. Like, you know, if we, if we did this in an extreme measure, like if we went really ham into X thing that we're looking at, you know, what's it going to look like? What are we expecting? If we like, you know, kind of take it easy, what are we looking at? Do we want to do it on the side? You know, just sort of like a sanity meeting on, on goals. And, you know, I would say that, I would say that, you know, it, like what Mike said, when he says like, you know, I went to go play a game. I went to go do this. I went to go do that. And I went and I reset. I think there's just a difference between I think there's just a difference between the people that are super into a thing. So whether it's web development and they do web development all the time and they have that project a week because they're constantly in web development. That's where they sort of get their happiness from. That's where they sort of uh, draw inspiration from. That's like sort of their creative outlet, their professional outlet, whatever. That's sort of like their everything. And then they'll rarely go and do something else. Whereas like 
me, you know, I do web development. I do like a little business admin, entrepreneurial stuff. Obviously, Mike and I both do as small business owners. And, you know, you get that imposter syndrome because you do go on Twitter or whatever. And you see the people out there that are, you know, they, they have a podcast like us, but then they're also running around and they're doing, they're doing a whole bunch of other stuff. They're, they have a new app out today. They have a new startup tomorrow. They have a new this. They have a new that. They're on someone else's podcast. They're running around. They know the people in the industry. They know, they know like even the sort of smaller celebs, if you'll call them that. They know the different programmers. They know the different projects. There's people that have, you know, they use websites, like certain web apps as tools for like, say their image processing or whatever that I've never heard of in my entire life because I'm not all the way in to web development. Like I'm there, I'm here, I'm talking to you right now, but I'm not all the way in. Like web development is my professional thing and I'll do it on my downtime a little bit here or there. Like, especially with hat stuff, it's fine. But like, I don't, I usually go and like, I'll go and play, play some video games or I will go and, you know, hang out with my girlfriend or whatever that's sort of my downtime. And so like, there's a very, very, um, not strict, but there's a very clear, I suppose, division between like my personal and professional. And that's not to say, and like Mike and I discussed before too, it's not to say, you know, one of us is trying to be lazy. Like if you have to work late one day, you have to work late one day, but it's not like it, it what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make it so that like, I'm not just going ham into web development. Now we also had the discussion as to whether, that's a problem. Whereas, you know, oh, if you're not fully into it, then maybe you shouldn't be into it. And I, you know, there, there may be some truth to that. And like, that's an argument that you might, you know, see or hear from people where they'll be like, like Mike and I had this conversation, like about, let's say, for example, we, um, we talked to one of these people on Twitter. Let's just say, I don't know. It's just some random person on Twitter that's always posting their new project, their new code pen, their new this, their new that, their new company, their new startup. It doesn't matter. And you go to them and you talk to them and you're and you're like, yo, dude, like how the hell? Like you're going crazy. Like, you know, you're getting so much done. Like, what are you doing? And you realize that that image that you're seeing on Twitter in some cases is them. Like that is them. That They are if Twitter was there or not going to start these startups and do these things and, and, and make these apps and make this whatever and whatever. And I think that a lot of us aren't that like to me, I think I've said this in the discord, like I identify more as a gamer than I do as a web developer, but it doesn't make my gaming, my professional, my profession. And it doesn't make my profession, my hobby, if that makes sense. You know, I like tech, I like this, I like that. And so web development is sort of one of those fields that I could, that I naturally sort of went into. I like entrepreneurial stuff and what have you. I like, you know, kind of being in control of my own destiny to an extent, whatever. And so that's where entrepreneurial, entrepreneurship kind of comes in. But like, I then, when I'm done doing that for the day, I don't go, oh, I'm going to go and build my web app now. Like, that's just not me. And I think the reason why, you know, it kind of seems like this is a tangent, but I actually think that this is my opinion, a source of a lot of imposter syndrome where, you know, maybe it isn't just the Twitter, but you're, you're noticing somebody else at work, let's say that's just absolutely killing it. You know, last week they were a junior dev six months later, maybe they're, you know, performing at a very high level. And let's say you started at the same time, junior dev, and you still feel very junior dev. Well, they might go home and just read textbooks. They might go home and just do YouTube videos. They might go home and do a side hustle that's related to their job. And so all they're doing is developing skills. Whereas like maybe you want to go out and go skiing all the time or something after work. 
And so, you know, there's nothing really wrong with it, but I think that this is one of the major, one of the main sources of imposter syndrome is that you have this, this sort of, there's always that guy, that girl, that whatever in the office or in your circle or on your Twitter or whatever you want to say, where, you know, you go, damn, like, look at what they built here. And that happens in games too. Like if you take it into my hobby, you know, Minecraft's a big game. You know, you might think it's for kids, but you can do some amazing stuff with Minecraft as you can with Lego, right? You can build huge structures with Lego, like big sculptures and stuff. And like Minecraft, same thing. And you might look and be like, holy crap, man. Like there's always that person in your social circle, your gaming social circle, if you're a gamer, where you're like, look at what this person built on Minecraft. Look at what this person built on X game. Look at what level he is. Look at what level she is, whatever, you know? And it's like, Jesus, this is ridiculous. But it's because gaming is that person's thing. It's because gaming is maybe that person's profession and personal. Now you can say, oh, you know, addiction, whatever. But I mean, you could be addicted to skiing. You could be addicted to walking. You could be addicted to a lot of things. You know, I'm not a psychologist. Maybe I'm wrong in some of this instance. But the thing is, is I think the imposter system, imposter syndrome comes from, or one of the sources, comes from you not being all the way into something. And whether that's just a type of personality, where maybe there's a type of personality that's super into one thing. And there's another, and there's other personalities where they're split and they like this and this and this and this and this. And you can see that even within industries to bring it back to gaming. Again, some people will buy one game. Maybe they bought Minecraft 10 years ago and they only play Minecraft. They game as much as I do, but they only play Minecraft. I don't do that. I'm bouncing around. I'm checking this game out, that game, this game over here, back over here on this console, on that computer over there, here, there, here, there. Like I'm all over the place. And I'm like, I'm on a podcast. I'm on like some YouTube videos. We do a stream, you know, all over the place. And I'm, I'm all over the gaming industry here, 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 here. But I'm not like, you know, just a journalist. Like I'm not a journalist in gaming, but like, like, I'm not like just in the writing field. I'm not just on PlayStation, not just on Xbox. I'm not just doing this. And I'm not just a web developer. And so I think, and I'm just like reiterating at this point that imposter syndrome can oftentimes come from that, where the time that you spent walking around, the time that you spent skiing, the guy, the time that you spent gaming you weren't learning, say, the, a data structure and algorithm like other people were. And I and and another thing to do with this, too, is like when we're in school, let's say, you know, you're sort of like controlled by the institution to an extent, right? Because, you, you know, you have your structured classes at different schedules and you have your structured units within those classes and you have your structured homework, which you need to do at home after the classes. Uh, and that is that is your all encompassing in general, main focus. And that's, you know, you see those people where you're like, how the hell does that person, you know, how the hell is this person not stressed out about this test, this exam? I think that's actually a form of imposter syndrome because that person probably just lets that school, that schooling, that class, that whatever to encompass them entirely. And they're doing that all the time and they wake up and they study and they go to bed and they study and whatever. And so they're just like super calm because they know like, oh, I'm just going to do fine because I, like, I, I know this stuff. Whereas a bunch of students are not going to be okay or they don't feel okay. Maybe they're going to do great, but they don't feel okay because they spent the evening gaming or they spent the evening going out or they spent the evening out for dinner or they spent the evening doing this or that or this or that. And so that almost that's like an imposter syndrome where it's like, look at this like person in my class that's just ripping through the hardest stuff and like, I, I don't understand this. Well, it might be because you're not putting enough time into it. 
But I think it is a form of imposter syndrome where you're like, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I shouldn't be here. So one thing I will say to that is like those people that, you know, go fully into it. I would say that they also severely suffer from imposter syndrome. I I don't think that they're I, I, I don't think that they're out of it as well, because even if they were to be like, you know, they're better like. The whole point of the imposter syndrome thing is like, yes, that you see people that are better than you, but even those people like, you know, that we see that are better than us, they see other people that are also way ahead of them and they have that same thing. And they're, but, but in their head, they're like the ones that are fully invested there. It's even worse for them potentially because they're fully invested, right? Oh, like that's, that's their thing. And seeing someone succeed better than them and maybe it's not their thing. Like some people, you know, a lot of people have a good work-life balance. I think you, you were mentioning like, you know, like a, the, a lot of the people we see on on Twitter and stuff, they might be fully in. I think it's the opposite. I think there's less people that are fully in and more people that are actually work-life balanced that are doing really well. And that kind of, you know, there there is that like balance of, of people that are just like, you know, crazy about web development and also the people that are, you know, like web development like they like it as a as a profession but they also like to like build stuff on the side or like you know like actually like with their hands you know what i mean in out out, out in their yard they like to do gardening and they like to uh break dance or something like, you know like woodworking whatever. whatever woodworking yeah like they like to do that other stuff as well there's like I, I would say most of the developers that i follow i follow their like personal instagram accounts and personal twitters and stuff like that because they, they sometimes have two and they always have like these you know very good balances it seems at least through their social media yes i i agree with you a few of them from what i can see do have like are fully invested into web development but um yeah there's a bunch that aren't there's a bunch that are just like have great balances and stuff like that so i don't think it's unique to the people that are unbalanced right i don't think it's unique to to us that like like to do stuff in the evenings and stuff like that i think it's a it's an encompassing thing and it's inherent to the fact that like we're always looking ahead. Like people are always looking in front of, in front of themselves and because of that they're only seeing the people that are on the pedestal and, and up higher and because of that they're thinking like oh they're not we're not doing as well and stuff like that. If we were to look behind, right? It would it's it kind of brings it down. And that's another good kind of uh, idea of um stopping imposter syndrome. Look behind and don't even don't only look behind, try to help someone behind you because helping someone not only increases your own skills and makes you more involved and stuff like that, but it, it'll it'll help you like build confidence because even though like, yes, there are more many complex things that are maybe way out of your reach. There's for someone like that's a year behind or a month behind or a day behind. There's some complex things that are also ahead of them. So you can go back, you can go on our discord server to plug it. Uh, the HTML things Discord server, or you can go on the many, many different programming Discord servers out there, or whatever else, uh, and try to help someone else. And it seems like I, I know on our Discord server we have plenty of people that you know we've followed their progress as they were starting out, and now they're the ones that are helping people that are starting out. Some of them could help me. Absolutely. Some of them, like there's people that have helped me that have just started <laughs> yeah, out like, like a few months ago, hundred <laughs> percent. Because they're in it, man. Like they're in it. They're in it to win it. Like basically, you know. Yeah. So I think that's another good strategy for combating imposter syndrome. Be a mentor or be just help someone else out when you're feeling that way. And that should boost your confidence. But regardless of whatever fact, it's probably going to happen. And knowing that what it is, is kind of like 
I don't want to, I don't want to be, um, lame or whatever, but it's knowing is half the battle. It, it is a complex thing because like I'm talking about one potential, uh, cause, you know, which I've already discussed at length, but, um, you know, there's multiple causes. It wouldn't, I would, I would assume it's not caused just by one, you know, just that one thing that I already said. And then also I wouldn't say, uh, I wouldn't say that people feel it, feel it the same way either. Like I have a bit of a funny yes. story. So like a real like brief one and I'll change names and stuff. But I, I went to, um, I went to a place and they told me like, you know, I got a, uh, I'm trying to like change details as I, as I'm talking and it's not working, but, uh, I went to a place and I had to get, I had to get some, uh, medical a medical procedure done and i went there and they were like you have to pay for this and i was like oh okay whatever and in canada it's like a hybrid system some stuff's paid some stuff isn't so i got it no so i was like oh okay like what do i pay and they're like you go pay over there so i was like okay so i show up and i go i'm gonna pay like i'd like to pay for this and they're like oh like you know don't worry about it so i was like oh okay thanks whatever and i thought like whatever so i go and i leave and then i come back and i have to do this medical thing again and <laughs> They're like, oh, like, you know, you still owe us for the last time. And I was like, oh, OK, like maybe this is why they said it's OK, because like now I have to pay for both. And so I go up to the person and I'm like, hey, like I need to pay for this. And they're like, oh, we're not we're not set up for that. OK, and then I had to do my third and final one. So I go back, have a third appointment, go do this medical thing, come back. You know, oh, you have to pay. For, you know, you know, you still owe us. Like we have it on record. And I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, no problem. Like I'll I'll pay whenever, man. Go in go to go pay again and they're like and, and like i'm paraphrasing and stuff like this but they're basically like yeah we're not like set up for that and like i don't really know how to like process the transaction and i was sitting there like at one point thinking am i dumb like did isn't like it was a super awkward conversation because it's like normally you go up to the cashier the cashier says you know beeps the thing goes here's your you know twenty dollars sir and uh, you pay your twenty dollars you walk away this is sort of like i'm sitting there like is this a medical thing? Like, am I doing this wrong? Like, am I supposed to go somewhere else? Is there a website I'm supposed to go to? Like, am I an idiot? Like, am I the only one that doesn't know how to pay this person? I never paid them. That's so weird. You know, I, you know I, what's, you know what's I never weird paid about them. The, yeah, the, <laughs> like, the Canadian medical system, and this might be a little, like, really strange for uh, the, our American friends, but they really don't know how to process payments, like, at all. Like, zero knowledge of it. Uh, my wife, she, uh, she immigrated here. And we went in there before she got her permanent residency and all that. So technically, like she's not a citizen, so she has to pay for her medical treatment. Now, she has insurance and all that. They can pay it. But first, you have to pay. Um, they don't deal directly with insurance there. You have to pay, and then you have to call your insurance. It was difficult to pay. Like like you're saying, like What's it was it was actually difficult. They're like, we don't like they, one of the ladies <laughs> literally said, like, we don't know what to do here. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, do you want cash? And they're like sure and so we just gave yeah. them cash and they wrote like they didn't they couldn't even print the receipt because they don't have a printing receipt machine they have to <laughs> yeah. write it out on a piece of paper like, like isn't that isn't that crazy <laughs> like that's what i mean it's like it's like that's what i was thinking i'm like am i the only idiot in this office that doesn't know to go to like you know whatever website.canada or something and just like am i supposed to pay there like is there no. a bill waiting for no, there's no bills, right? Like it's they don't know what they don't know that system. Like yours is a little bit different because yours sounds like a procedure that has to be paid for, and they're just their office is just like screwing it up, maybe on purpose <laughs> to like you know screw the medical system or something. Or I don't to know. be nice to me, like, yeah, exactly. Like I don't know, maybe I, that's the case. Thank you know. if that's the case, I guess. But regardless, this was a different situation. They, like it was such a weird system, and they're like, I'm like, do you have change? They're like what? 
And that's right. Like they wouldn't have change because yeah, they no don't have paying. change. Yeah, they don't have change. Of course, they don't have change, which makes sense. It's cool. Like I don't. I, I think. I think that's a cool aspect of the Canadian medical system. Like when you're going there, you literally like <laughs> don't have to worry about the payment aspect of it, which is awesome. It's uh, it's it's good, but uh, imposter syndrome inducing, at least in my <laughs> specific <laughs> thing. That's such a random thing to induce imposter syndrome, but okay. That's well, because cool. it happened like three times, so it, I was just like, <laughs> "Am I?" Like there was really a point where like I froze, like I couldn't think, and I was like, "I'm." I'm an idiot. Like, what What am I doing wrong? Like, don't I just pay? Like, <laughs> like but I, it's just, that's, I mean, I'll take, I'll take free service and I mean, I'll take whatever, <laughs> like, it's fine. But like, I ain't complaining. The procedure was done properly. I ain't complaining. But just saying, imposter syndrome is everywhere. Um, so watch out. There's a little transition into my next thing because I didn't have my document up. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I suppose we'll move on from imposter syndrome uh, to migrations. Mine's a little more brief. Mine's a little more just IT straight up, whatever. But uh, this is something that happened to us recently, and I just kind of thought I'd you know touch on it because it's rare-ish. Depends on your industry, um, but uh, something you may have to deal with. So migrations out of your control. So sometimes migrations are actually not scheduled by you, whatever. They're actually scheduled by third-party services that you use, and oftentimes they will tell you you know a, tell you when exactly or a window when there will be downtime or degraded service or whatever the side effect is. And, you know, you got to you got to kind of know how to prepare. Do you tell your customers uh, that are going to be affected by it? Like when? Like how? Like if it's a blip, you know, then it's nothing. If it's is it two minutes, then do you tell your customers? You know, what do you do? And so for us, we have a really old legacy, even legacy for us. We really use it. Hosting infrastructure. We have a new one now. We have an old one. And, you know, we have legacy sites on there, so it's fine. And so legacy now that the hardware, I believe it was the hardware they changed us, like just that hardware is probably done. And they told me, they're like, hey, we're doing a big update, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You got to be prepared. So they're like, uh, we're going to give you five days. I think it was five business days. And in that five business days, you're going to have a 30 minute downtime window. And in that 30 minute downtime window, um, in that 30 minute downtime window, you're going to have uh, like you're going to have to change this or if you have this. So in this case, it was like if your name servers um, are not, you know, us, like if you're not using our name servers because the host, then you're going to have to, you know, either move your name servers over to us right now in order to like just have it be, you know, 30 minutes downtime and come back up. Or you're going to have to wait for the downtime, basically. Uh, it didn't say all this in the email, but this is me understanding it. You're going to have to have the downtime, have it not come back up and then have to change your your name servers to this thing that they gave us. And so, um, you know, that can be kind of scary depending on what the infrastructure was for us. It's legacy, not a big deal. Uh, did actually have a little bit of fallout, you know, some people had trouble with emails. We fixed that, not a big deal. Um, but like, I mean, this is something that you do need to consider because a lot of times you're the one scheduling the migration. You're the one controlling it. You're the one planning it. You're the one doing it. That's not the case in this, in this particular instance. And, and these bigger companies, these third parties are often doing it for more than just you. And so they're not going to move it. They're not going to wait. They're not going to change. They're not going to do whatever. Sometimes they will. You know, you can ask, but chances are they won't. And you just have to be ready. So, I mean, some of the things you can do to prepare straight up is just going to be, you know, just take a backup. 
take backups like at regular intervals, whatever the regular interval is for you, and that's fine. And that's basically it. Like, get ready. You know, if you did something weird in your name servers in your DNS, and you're like, I do not remember those records. I just know I have them. Back those up. Write them down in case those get erased. Stuff like that. Like any little weird quirk that you had to do to get something to work. Write that down. Hopefully, it's already documented. If it isn't, document it. Um, those type of things, like have backups, whatever. But then, like the big thing, obviously, is you want to avoid having like a million and one phone calls. In this case, because none of the systems we have are, you know, life critical, none of them are even e-commerce, I just didn't tell the customers because I had five days, 30 minutes. I told one person because they have a weird name server set up uh, with us, uh, not to get into it, but they have a weird name server set up with us. And I knew that they were constantly on their site and I knew that they would notice. Uh, So I did tell them, hey, five days, within this five days, there might be, there's a 30 minutes downtime. You see it go down, you know, don't call, whatever. It comes back up within, let's say 50 minutes because you got to give them a, a bit of a leeway comes if it doesn't come up within 50 minutes call me uh came back up no problems there um but uh, basically like i didn't tell my customers in this particular case now i could have you know some people would just say i just you know put them on on uh on my site or maybe i like tweet it out to my customers or i send like a, a an e-blast an email blast out um there's an antiquated term um an e-blast out to like all my customers and say you know, hey, you know, there's going to be 30 minutes downtime. To me, I was like, most of these people aren't on their sites all that often. If the 30 minutes is at like two in the morning, they're never going to notice I'm out. Like, it doesn't matter. And even with this email issue that popped up, me telling them ain't going to help anything because they're not going to friggin' know. Um, so that's basically how I dictate it. Now, if there was any life critical stuff, you know, super busy websites, like I told that one one person, uh, if super, super busy websites, uh, e-commerce, whatever, like something life critical for some reason, I don't know why a website would be life critical, but if it was, you know, absolutely tell them everything. But, um, this is kind of how I handled it. And it's just something that like comes with experience. It's uh, my own data structure, hands on hips. Uh, but no, um, my own data structure of how I, or my own, my own procedure, uh, on how to handle stuff like this. Like I just sort of look at it, read it, you know, what's coming and you just got to deal with it. So, you know, migrations can be scary. Uh, even when we're planning them, they can be stressful, whatever, but, uh, sometimes they're not, not under your control and you just kind of have to, what you do, you have to deal with them. And this is how I deal with it. Be prepared, back things up, notify when necessary, but, if it's not necessary, I don't like to cause panic or problems and uh, just be ready to fix stuff like we were. Someone calls, I'm having trouble with email. I think I know what it is. Find the problem, fix it, done. So kind of just prepare yourself, prepare literally by having like actual backups and stuff like that and uh, making sure weird things that you did to make things work in the past are documented or document them now if they're not to ensure that the new infrastructure works as you in- as it's intended. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I agree with that totally because a customer wants to think of your system like it's, they don't actually, you know what? I take that back. A customer doesn't want to think about their website. They don't want to, they they don't care about their website as much as you think they do usually, right? Unless it's very mission critical to their business and all that, which none of our customers are really like that, like uh, other than the one that you told. But regardless, um, if a customer doesn't like you know, rely on their on your website for every second of the day, then it's better for them not to know the little blips like this. Because as soon as you start telling your customer every little thing that's going to happen to your website, to their website, uh, like if you're, you know, updating an arbitrary WordPress plugin, or if you're updating some little thing, and you always want to notify your customer, they're going to get annoyed, or even worse, they're going to get uh, 
they're going to try to get even more involved in something that they're they don't understand right so if 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 you say okay to some to one customer hey your site's going to be out for 30 minutes in the next week um it's out of our control and all that they're going to respond back if they're really paranoid about this kind of stuff and we know some people that are they're going to respond by like what when is that 30 minutes guaranteed and you're gonna be like, well, I just, you know, in the email, I said it was, it, it wasn't up to me. Like, I'm not part of the thing. And they're going to respond back saying, hey, this isn't acceptable. That 30 minutes could cost me a customer or whatever like that, et cetera, et cetera. And you're going to have to deal with that. Even, even though what really is going to happen is it's going to be down at 2 a.m. at some point and uh, nothing's going to get affected. They'll you're never notice it. Yeah. yeah. If it was a different situation where if the, if the host, told you that the system was down and it was going to be down for an extended period of time. Obviously in that situation, you have to notify your customers and tell them that you're working on it and you're working with the host, right? That makes sense. In these kinds of situations where 99% of the time, it's probably going to be a very arbitrary small amount of time and it's not going to worry them. No point in telling them in my opinion. Yeah. uh, It's basically just preventing panic and it's also preventing calls. Like the reason why you prepare for migrations and stuff is to prevent you from having to deal with more tickets, more calls, more whatever. And so basically just take that same mentality and apply it to, okay, if like this guy's pretty, you know, doesn't care about his website or his website's more marketing, uh, you know, it doesn't have any e-commerce functionality. It just, it just points people to his phone number and you know, he's going to get bent out of shape over the 30 minutes downtime, but like there will be like, there will be 30 minutes downtime. I think that's something that people need to realize is there's going to be 30 minutes downtime. And I've dealt with this in the past uh, in, you know, a more of an enterprise environment, not to get into the whole thing, but like I've told people, hey, there's 30 minutes downtime. They're like, not possible, you know, doesn't abide by our internal procedure. I was like, that's nice. There's 30 minutes downtime, you know, effectively. Now, a little nicer than that, obviously, not to be a jerk, but like it's not controlled by me. It's not controlled by us. It's not controlled by whatever. It's controlled by our host in this case, and there will be downtime. So that's it. And, and if their site were to go down by accident, like due to an issue, I mean, their site would go down due to an issue and then they would call you and you would fix it. But no one like died, you know, again, hopefully none of this stuff is life critical. And like I said, with life critical stuff, you would obviously do different, a different procedure than this. This is, this is sort of a more nonchalant, like, oh, some websites that like, you know, are more marketing and are legacy and like, aren't life critical may go down within five days for 30 minutes. It's probably been down for more than 30 minutes in the la- in like a year anyway, <laughs> like without me even knowing. So uh, definitely, definitely something just to consider. Definitely something to um, pay attention to. Nothing to be scared of. These type of things will definitely happen. These type of migrations will definitely happen because you know, servers need to get like upgraded. Like this new server is way better. Like I've already have better performance. Like, that's just it. And I didn't pay for it. It's just, you know, they're obviously getting rid of old stuff and they're just like, we got to get rid of this thing. And that's just it. That's just the way it has to be. So basically just, just go with the flow, try not to cause panic and back up or prepare as necessary, depending on how critical your systems are. If they're not critical, then you can be a little more nonchalant like I'm being about it and fix as needed, go with the flow and all the rest of it. Now, I think that kind of concludes this weird mashup of an episode, Mike, unless um, unless you have anything else to say about migrations out of your control. No, that's it. All right. Um, Well, I'm about to go brave a snowstorm to go get my car from the mechanic. So this should be an interesting one. Um, But before we sign off, before I go and brave that snow, Mike, what is your weekly growth goal, sir? 
Uh, same as last week, I'm working on the weekly growth goal application for all the things. You did your bookkeeping last week. Did you finish it? Uh, no, that was the week before. What? Yeah, I, didn't, up, I didn't update the, the doc. But didn't yeah. we do bookkeeping for two weeks? Uh, did no, we not? I did bookkeeping for one week. <laughs> I think you, you did You did keep your bookkeeping for two weeks, though. But it, my, my weekly What's growth... What's going on here? We got an unbalanced, it was an unbalanced, unbalanced. partnership, but, I'd but say. To be fair, to be fair, <laughs> I didn't complete my weekly growth goal this week. So I am deferring it to this week. I You can chastise me um, full permission for not doing my weekly growth goal. You can't, you can't see me, but I am shaking my head. There we go. Not in disapproval. Wait, this will sting a little more. But in disappointment. <laughs> um, I'll take so, it. <laughs> so my my weekly growth goal was to finish my bookkeeping. I did submit it to the accountant. A little more bookkeeping bookkeeping left to do, but that literally has to wait for a future thing. I have to get some papers from the government, so I have to wait on that. Um, but everything that can be done is done, and it has been sent away to for its processing or whatever they do i have an accountant i don't know what they do with it so power to them thank 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 you for them thank you to them if they're listening to this um but now it's like i just i really really can't stand it like i told mike like 15 times while doing the bookkeeping i was like who does this for a career like i would i'd go mad like it'd be one day in and someone would be like oh that's actually like an exception under law <laughs> two six i would i would break my desk lose it like uncontrolled though it's not like i'm trying to be like a jerk i would <laughs> involuntarily <laughs> lose my mind be like oh, law 264 is that it like is that it jim law 264 well how about these a law 264 jim and i would just it would be really bad it'd be like a sitcom uh, but would, it would I be see that happening i almost lost it several single several times like when you type in numbers into a balance sheet and it takes hours and you get to the end and it doesn't balance it's over like i'm sweating i'm mad now but I'm also scared because I don't know what I did wrong and it's, it's over. So anyway, um, yeah. Okay. Before I get, before I go crazy about accounting, I finished my weekly growth goal. Thank you. Or thankfully, excuse me. Now on to more hat, um, more hat stuff. Still working on that podcast page. Got all the functionalities of the, um, uh, media player done, as I said before, with some, you know, some UX changes that I want to do. So I'm going to just sort of do it in a rough form now, try to get like the whole page built together. And, you know, I mean, the media player might release in a rough form and then I might like imp improve it later. But uh, yeah, just chipping away on that. That's my, that's my weekly growth goal. I want to chip away uh, to the point where I can probably at least get a screenshot. That'll, that'll be my milestone. I want to at least get a good screenshot and post it on, on uh, social um, by, uh, you know, sometime next week. Hopefully that'll be where I am at. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's it. So, uh, thank you for hanging out on the show here. Remember, we are on Patreon. If you want to support the show, that's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out those tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on localpathcomputing.com, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, DL Ford from DL ford.io bib hashdash from nine black media on nineblockmedia.com jason from geek life radio via geekliferadio.com feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on and this outro will sign 
us off. Oh, and wait, I'm sorry. Wait, we're not quite signing off yet. No web news this week. Uh, we just didn't have a topic, and we did a mashup today. A lot of conversations, so no web, no web news this week. Hopefully, we'll return next week as we see fit. Now we're signing off. Goodbye. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.